0: morning. It is a, a joy to be here. I'll keep talking for a moment. It's a good. Uh, I would say it's fun to be here, but Tad is not with us because of the loss of his father, and so it is uh, a mixed joy and grief. I'm glad that God arranged things that I could be here to preach because he's not with us, and yet it is very sad. This year, earlier around March... Uh, my youngest brother, who was 21, died, and Tad was one of the first people that I reached out to when I was flying uh, to go see him on the way as he was dying. So I uh, am glad to be here and to serve Tad, to serve Amy, and to serve your congregation. I preach just down the street and have lived in Crestview for about five years and have gotten to know Pastor Tad over that time, and I'm very thankful for his friendship and encouragement but also very um, thankful to God for Tad's commitment to God and to obeying his word. And Tad and I are both not in our 60s, so we still have a little bit left to learn, but I know that he loves you as a congregation. And so I've been glad to see how God has worked um, in the last few years through Tad and, and in your congregation. This morning, we are going to continue looking at First Peter And we'll be getting into chapter 3 of 1 Peter, so you may make your way there. And um, before we actually look at 1 Peter and we look at his instructions to wives and husbands, I wanted to read to us a story from Genesis chapter 18. This will come up later in our passage in 1 Peter, so let me read this story. And then I will pray and we will jump into 1 Peter. This is Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him, to Abram, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate then they said to him where is sarah your wife and he said there in the tent he said i will surely return to you at this time next year and behold sarah your wife will have a son and sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him now abraham and sarah were old advanced in age sarah was past "'Childbearing, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, "'my Lord, being old also?' "'And the Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh, saying, "'Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? "'Is anything too difficult for the Lord? "'At the appointed time I will return to you "'at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son.' Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me. And if not, I will know. The story continues and you may... Remember that Abraham prays on behalf of Lot, his nephew, and the city. If there are this many righteous people, God, will you relent? And so this is a a window into the life of Abraham and Sarah, these uh, godly man and his wife from years past. This will come up later as we read through Peter. Let me pray, and then we will look at God's word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be Under the reading and the preaching of your word, please help me to say not only what is right, but what's helpful for those who are listening. Lord, please allow us to respond by faith, to not only understand, but to obey you and to trust you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage those who are weak, and for those who are proud, that you would humble us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I have one other note here that I forgot. Bear with me in one more word of exhortation before we turn to preaching of God's word. I call on you to pray for your elders and to pray for Tad especially as he preaches God's word. In Colossians 4, the apostle Paul says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now, you may think Pastor Tad's preaching is the best thing next to sliced bread or the round tire and wheel. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote the bulk of our New Testament, asked for prayer that he would have an open door to preach, and that he would say things clearly and correctly. And so I encourage you, pray for Pastor Tad and his preaching. Pray for your elders. Encourage them. Strengthen them in the work that they do. Um, It is not easy. They love you. And it may be that God is waiting for you to pray for the sermons to improve. Okay? So there's that added benefit there. Um, But joking aside, I encourage you, pray for your pastors, pray for your elders, and encourage them as they bring God's word to you. Now we turn to our next slide, to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses one through seven. And I don't know if this is your custom or not, but would you be willing to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word? This is God's word from 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word. You may be seated, and we may go to the next slide. Pastor Tad has been preaching through the Apostle Peter's letter to exiles, and I'm sure that you've already found in the first two chapters many things that are helpful in your walk as a Christian. And as you have thought through these things, I hope that it has become evident that if you actually follow through and obey the commands of the Apostle Peter, if you experience the new life that is described here, you will find yourself feeling like a stranger in an exile, even in Crestview. There is something markedly different from the experience in the life of a Christian and from someone who does not know God. Because of a believer's new relationship with God, our relationships with our neighbors changes, and there's a marked difference between the life of a Christian and an unbeliever. And while this Christian living can lead to sorrow and even a sense of isolation at points, living as a Christian is a supremely happy life. The context of chapter 3 is good news. We can go to the next slide. I've summarized it this way, chapters 1 through 2, or the book as a whole. Dear elect exiles who are the inexpressibly joyful children of God. Peter is writing to exiles to those who are outcast. They are the children of God. We have been made the sons of God. We are to be holy as our Father is holy. We have been given new birth. And even though suffering is described in trials, yet Peter says that you are full of joy, inexpressible In the next slide, let me read from 1 Peter chapter 1 to remind us of Peter's opening. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And in this opening section, the Apostle Peter, the Holy Spirit leading him, summarizes the good news of Christianity, the gospel, that God as Father, Son, and Spirit has worked to bring about the salvation of rebellious sinners. From time past, the Father has not merely had a plan to offer salvation, but through election, He has loved individuals particularly. This is a great joy and comfort to us that we're not just a number. My children play on little league uh, teams, and some teams have names on the back. Sometimes there's fights about whether it should be the first or last name for the safety of the child, but um, they're both there. And then other teams don't have any names on the back, and so they really do look like just a number. Go number seven. Number seven has no idea that his name is number seven. God's love for us as the father Is particular. He knows us. He saves a body, a bride, the church, and there's only one bride, and he deals with us as a unit. And yet, while still dealing with the church as a unit, he deals with us as individuals. Peter brings this out from the beginning, and then the Spirit works sanctification, or he sets us apart. He does the work in history, in time and space, and he calls us out and he allows us to hear the word and he works in our hearts so that we're born again and we're we're saved by the sprinkling of Jesus the Son's blood and all this is so that we may be restored to a relationship with God as Father and so that we may do what we have refused to do all along obey Jesus Christ this is the gospel That God is great. And in his greatness, he comes down and gives his loves to sinners through the blood of his Son. And he doesn't merely wish it or offer it, but his Spirit works salvation in his children and brings us to faith. Then Peter continues and he says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so he describes our life. Sometimes pastors describe the Christian life as the now but not yet. We experience, we have true salvation now. It is as good in our hand as it will be at the end of history, but we don't see salvation in its fullness now. We don't see the glory of God in his fullness now. There's a veil, and our experience still includes sin. And so Peter says that, that even though we live in this now, not yet, our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven and it's good. And because of this hope, we're just filled with joy. We're happy. It's even inexpressible. But there are many trials, and they're grievous trials. And why are are there these trials? It's so that our faith, the working of God to bring about our salvation, may be proved to be strong and powerful and sure." It's as though a man got a a, a wonderful gold ring, far better than I could afford. And he gives it to his wife on their wedding day. And then monthly, he takes the ring off, and he puts it in a blazing hot furnace and melts it down and says, look, no impurities came out. And it hardens up, and she wears it again. And in the next month, he takes it and melts it down. Over and over, that ring goes through trial by fire, trial by fire. And it's proved out year after year, month after month, This ring, this gold, is pure. There's nothing lacking in it. And why does he do that? So that his wife knows that his commitment, his promise, is sure. God is pleased through trials and sustaining our faith to prove to us and to the watching world that his work is good and sure. Wouldn't you rather God just say, I'm going to save you and that be the end of it? of course, right? But he comes and says, no, it's good that I lead you through trials so that your faith and its genuineness can be proved out, can be demonstrated. A common example is patience. Have you prayed for patience? That's one. If I'm thinking in the flesh, I would say never pray for patience because the only way to know you have patience is to be tried and put in a situation where you don't Want to be patient? This is this is how people know that we're patient, that we're holy, that we're loving, that we're kind, that we're generous, that we're forgiving, that we tell the truth. It's when we are put in positions and have the opportunity to sin, or something good is withheld for a time, and yet our faith persists. So this is the context of the book that. Um, The Apostle Peter gives us the good news of salvation in Christ. And he is honest and plain about what it looks like to live as a Christian who knows and experiences the gospel good news. His life is filled with joy, and his life is filled with trials. The other thing that comes into this is that being born again um, and made into the likeness of God, we are growing, Scripture tells us, and being remade into the image of Christ himself. If Pastor Tad were here in his family, and I have my children, and we mixed all of our children up, and then put Tad and Amy on one side of the room, and me and my wife on the other side of the room, any stranger to our families probably could match all the children up properly because of the family likeness. When we are born again, and we are brought into the family of God, it's not merely a choice on our part but something inevitable happens. We begin to look like our father. We begin to look like and act like our older brother. And part of it is the image that just, whoa, that looks like a Christian. But part of it is the shared um, desires, tastes, habits, traits, um, vacation spots. (laughs) We begin to act like, and this is a natural process. And again, if you're like me, you may think, well, God, if you're fair and you really want to do things well, you would make it so that when I become a Christian and I begin to be shaped into the image of your son, that it would be impossible for me to sin. Why do you say, I've been born again, and then I must obey? Well, that is how God has ordered things. It may be that we think it would be better some other way. And you may have some other idea in your mind of the ideal life and how God should have done things. But the Holy Spirit leads Peter, and he's led Paul and the rest who wrote Scripture to be honest, to be plain, to be direct. They're not hiding something from us. The Christian life is filled with joy. You will know a Christian because he inevitably becomes more and more like his father. And yet Peter writes this letter and tells us how to behave, especially in times of trial. We have to be reminded, we have to be taught, we have to be instructed. All right, the immediate context of the apostle Peter instructing wives and husbands, Pastor Tad led you all through last Sunday. We can go to the next slide and look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Um, Peter has just given instruction to believers and how they are to respond to governing authorities. Then he instructed Christian slaves that they must submit to their masters. And now he sort of takes a a pause or uh, the middle of the sandwich or the Oreo, and he tells us about Christ and his suffering and his character, and then he continues with more examples of how we are to behave in certain relationships. So let me read from 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For to you, for to this, you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly." He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. A few things to point out by way of reminder. The only place that is safe, the only refuge you have, is in Christ. Christ. And that's not merely your belief or assent in the teachings of the Bible, but it is in your following Christ and his example. It's not merely following his example as though you select his philosophy or his worldview, and that's how you're going to shape your morality. And so you're going to find the good life by having good morals, by having good behavior. Following Christ is knowing who he is, what he has done, and then being made new, walking in his pattern of life, following his footsteps. This is the only safe place. And yet, if you were with Christ in the garden before he was crucified, and you saw him praying three times and not uh, protected by his friends who fell asleep, And you saw the sweat and the blood coming out, and him saying, Father, is there some other way? You might say, this is not a safe place to be. And then when Jesus goes and he's crucified on the cross, and he doesn't simply hang there, but he dies, you might say, whoa, (laughs) I'll be with Jesus a lot of the time. Let's go back to the wedding at Cana. You know, let's have some wine made out of the water. I like that, Jesus. You know, my cousin, his arm was deformed, and then boop, 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 it reaches out. You know, I, you know, and Jesus told those authorities what's what. You know, he exposed all their failures. I like that Jesus. But that Jesus on the cross, I don't know. Oh, Jesus died on the cross for me. He suffered so I don't have to suffer. I like that. But the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Apostle Peter. And he says that when Jesus went to the cross and he suffered on our behalf, verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This isn't merely when you have one or two trials in your life, how do you respond? This is the pattern of life that you are to direct your footsteps to follow. This is the exit you're supposed to get off and the highway you're supposed to stay on, following the example of Christ in his suffering. And this is the only safe place to live. And so we come to Peter's instruction, the Holy Spirit's instruction to wives and to husbands, and to our ears, most likely, living in the culture that we live in, It sounds foreign and unsafe. It may even sound lopsided. It may sound wrong. And there are theologians who I'm sure both Tad and I look up to in many ways who have taken parts of this and said, well, I would be doing something wrong if my wife responded to me the way that Sarah responded to Abraham. But it's not just our culture. From the beginning of time, man as husband and wife has been tempted and refused to follow the example of Christ. Okay, so we got two things to jump back to. The example of Abraham and Sarah, which we read earlier, and then the beginning of time, Adam and Eve in the garden. Before we jump back to those, let me uh, read to us one more time the exhortation to wives and to husbands. And as we make our way there, I think I have a slide that says, yes. If you believe the good news of God in Jesus Christ, you will by nature and you are also commanded to likewise follow our good shepherd's example of personally dying to sin and suffering for the benefit of others, especially as wives and husbands, okay? All right. Let's skip onto to the slide where we have 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 6, please. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart The first thing Peter says is, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The first word is likewise. uh, The Holy Spirit is saying that like our Savior, there is to be a conduct of life as wife and as husband. There's something about the way our Savior lived on this earth that instructs and is an example for both wives and for husbands. Jesus subjected himself to whom? To the Father. And not to most of the Father's will, but to everything. So that without lying and without being mocked, when Jesus is on the cross, he says, um, It is finished. He had done everything the Father commanded. And in his humanity in the garden, he had asked, Is there another way? You may think that because Jesus is God eternal, that when he takes on flesh and he lives on the earth, and he has this experience of being God and man, that there was no struggle, no difficulty, that it was just like being with Barney, the dinosaur or with whatever cartoons your children watch. It was just easy. It was fun. It was happy. There was no struggle. It was a, the struggle was a farce. It's made up. But that's not the case. And so when Jesus lived his life, he submitted to the Father. He submitted to the written word of God. He didn't just make up commands and write his own scripture, but he abided by all of God's word. When he was tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan says, here, why don't you make some food out of this stone? Jesus says, man shall not live by bread, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When Jesus is asked about divorce and adultery, he says, have you not read? Over and over, Jesus goes back to the command of his father, into the written word of God, and his life does not deviate. How are we brought to faith in Christ? How are we brought to a point where we recognize our sin, and we're willing to own up to the responsibility of our rebellion, and we cry out, God, forgive me? It's through the preaching, through the hearing of God's word. It's through recognizing that God's word is the authority and that we have been rejecting it. And so we say, yeah, you're right. You're right. God's word is right. I'm not the boss. I have been living like I'm the boss. I hate every other boss, but I've been stupid and a fool. And this death that I'm experiencing slowly is the result of my sin and rebellion. And I need God to forgive me be patient and to bring me back and to reconcile my relationship with him, and I will submit to him as boss. This is the work of salvation in our lives. We are restored to obedience to God and his word. We are made able to submit to him as father and faithful, obedient children. We have the joy of the peace and happiness that you see on children's faces when they're not rebelling against their parents. We are made right with God and it is through the preaching of the word. Peter says, following the example of Christ, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Good news wives, gospel wives, jumping immediately to unbelieving husbands or believing husbands that are rebellious for a time here. How do you preach the gospel to your husband who's a jerk or an unbeliever? Without a word, you can preach to him the gospel. And how? By being subject to him, by being submissive, by following your husband, by not fighting against him, by not being cantankerous, by not arguing, by following his preferences. When my wife and I were getting married, Jen said something about the joy of being a Christian and looking forward to being a, in a, a godly marriage, and that includes submission. And somebody asked her, if your husband leaves the house for the day and says, you must leave the thermostat at X degrees, will you change it? Now, my wife has asthma. I let her put the air wherever she wants that particular has not been a point of contention. And it's easy for us to jump to little things. It's easy for us to say, um, well, what about the air conditioning? And doesn't this reveal the thoroughgoing, thick rebellion that is in us? You mean I have to leave the air conditioning at 72 instead of 71 degrees? Forget this Christianity. I'm not rebellious, I'm just saying it's, it's not fair. I don't reject authority, I like authority, but you can't tell me one degree. You know. We fight over the little things, it reveals our rebellion. And so how do you demonstrate submissiveness? Well, a, a beginning point is to cook the meals that your husband likes. Don't roll your eyes when he requires something of your children. Don't fight against him when he says, This is how we're going to have the air conditioning. We're going to mow the yard two times a week instead of once a month. On and on and on. Begin with the little things. The things that are not a part of consequence. Begin with the little things. Why should a wife do this in the first place? Well, Peter says that you may win some husbands who are not obedient to the word By your submission to the word, you will win them over. From the beginning, Eve, woman, was made to be Adam, man's helper. Adam was made and given charge of the garden and responsibility. When Eve was brought to him, having been made from his side, he named her as he had named the animals. Adam, from the beginning, man, the husband, has had the position of responsibility. And with that, God has given him the authority to carry out the responsibility delegated by God himself. And Eve has been given the position of being cared for and her orientation being towards her husband and his goal. So a little bit bigger picture. In a marriage where there are two um, careers, I've often seen famous people say, well, I pursued my career, the husband says, and my wife stayed at home and she took care of things, and now that I've got my degree and I'm established, now it's time for her to pursue her career. This is not the picture that God gave us from the beginning, that we are mere individuals who unite in marriage for some affection or benefits or uh, prestige or whatever it is. Adam was given a job, and God gave him Eve as his helper towards fulfilling that God that job under God's delegation. You see, submission is about more than the temperature on the thermostat. It has to do with a wife seeing herself as her husband's um, God-given helper enabler, supporter, co-worker. The mission that God has given to the husband is the mission that God has given to the wife. Now, along with that, if you read Proverbs 31, that doesn't mean that the wife sits at home, knits, watches daytime TV, and when her husband says to do something, then she does something. A godly woman and a godly wife, as she is her husband's helper, will find herself having the opportunity to accomplish all sorts of things within and outside the home. It's not like there's a really small space for the wife and a huge space for the man. God has given this work to man as male and female, and yet he has given the responsibility to the man and to the husband. And so when the wife will submit and see herself as in submission, and there by God's gift and command to support and to work with her husband and the family to work together towards God's goal for your family, then even if that husband is an unbeliever, he'll scratch his head. What what is this? Every other marriage I know, the wife and the husband are at odds because they have separate lives. They have competing interests. They're trying to outdo one another. They're supporting each other, but it's it's different directions. The wife stays at home. She doesn't have her own job, but she is a nag and demanding, and her husband is never right in her eyes. Ladies, wives, if you will live and give yourself to your husband, even if he is an unbeliever and rejects God's word, your submission can be the thing that wins him over, that brings him to do what? To submit to the word of God. If salvation was merely saying, Jesus, I want you to save me, and I want to have a happy, successful life, then your husband can find that in all sorts of places. He can find some sense of inner peace, and he can find material success doing lots of different things. But to know God and to be reconciled to him He has to confess his sin and he has to bend his will to obey the word of God and to follow him. And then that following God brings joy that's inexpressible because he's at peace with his creator. He's able to do what he was made to do. He doesn't have guilt. He doesn't have shame. He's submitted to God's word. Your obedience to God's word can be what wins your husband to obey God's word. Peter had just given us the example of Jesus, the shepherd and overseer or guardian of our souls. Wives, it may sound scary to honor God and to be submissive. You may already cook the meals your husband likes, and it may be some other level of submission that's difficult for you. It may seem impossible to place yourself under your husband, but if you do it in submission to God's word, then you're doing it in submission to God, and you're entrusting yourself to Jesus as your shepherd and overseer and guardian. And Jesus went to the cross for our sake, for the sake of those who hated him and killed him. And so when he comes and says, I want you to follow my example and walk in my path, you can know that even if you suffer worse than your sister or your best friend, You are in the safest place you can be. Your marriage is in the safest place it can be. Your children, your happiness is in the safest place it can be if you will start with yourself and submit to God's word. It may be rough. It may be difficult. It may be joyful. But you cannot find a safer place than submitting yourself to God's word. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. My uh, church, our congregation, we rent a building, and so I do not have a permanent office outside of Starbucks, Panera, Back Home Bakery, Casbah, various places, my house, as I'm out and about at the different coffee houses doing my work throughout the week, I don't know who women dress for. And so let me put the question to you, especially wives, whose eyes are you dressing for? At Starbucks, it's a competition for who can show the most flesh. Whose eyes, who are you seeking to attract? Who are you seeking to please? Who are you seeking to honor? Whose attention are you seeking? We are told here in verse four, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so again, we're brought to a spot where our happiness is tied to, bound up with, submitting to God's word and looking to please him first. Peter, in a sense, is saying, do you want God's eyes? Do you want God's affection? Do you want God's face to light up? Do you want God to watch you? Do you want God to track you? Do you want God to be pleased with you? Do you want God to want you to come closer to his presence by the way you dress, by the way you interact with others, by your your spirit, whether it's loud and brash or quiet and gentle? Who do you dress for? Whose eyes are you seeking to please It's easy for men to lust. It's also easy for women to enjoy a lustful stare, isn't it? You know? Look at how many stares I got at the grocery store today. You know, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not sleeping around. I would never go out with those men, but, you know, I still got it. With our attitudes moving beyond our dress, we like to command We like to stand out. We like to demonstrate that nobody is better than us as women, as wives. The apostle Peter comes, and he's not doing something that is merely cultural, something that we can throw off because this was written hundreds or thousands of years ago. He says, two wives, in the context of trusting God and having a a character of submission to your husband's, Let yourself be known not for how you dress and not for how vocal you are, but let yourself be known for a gentle and quiet spirit because God is watching you. Sunday mornings, you may enjoy one type of music and not enjoy another. Personally, I would have been happy if there was a little bit louder bass this morning, right? That would have made me feel better. I like bass. There's music where the words can be the same, and I may feel like I entered into worship with one style and not with the other. There are all sorts of things that, that make you sense pleasure, that make you feel like you are close to God, that make you feel like you have his favor. And worship music is one of those things. And the Holy Spirit says, Wives, women, pay attention to your dress. And your attitude, because God's eyes are on you. In other words, if you want to be close to Him in His presence, maybe more important than the style of music you pick to listen to, to worship Him with, is your behavior and your dress. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. It is frightening. We read from Genesis 18 at the beginning. And there, just in the normal course of events, Scripture records that Sarah said, how shall I give birth? I am so old. How will I give my Lord a child? This is how she referred to Abraham. And if you know the story of Sarah, it wasn't like Abraham was without sin. How would you like to marry a man who says he's going to be a traveling salesman and says, whenever you go with me to different towns, um, because you are so beautiful, I want you to say that you're my sister. Now, Sarah could say that with a straight face because of their relation to each other. It wasn't a complete lie. But at least twice in scripture recorded that this actually happened. And Abraham enters a a region, and the king says, whoa. And Sarah is brought to his palace, to his area. And she is being prepared to become one of his wives. And God brings affliction, discomfort to the ruler. And God restores Sarah. He protects their marriage. But can you imagine living with such a man and then having a habit of calling him Lord Of giving him honor and respect, this is in a normal conversation. It's not like someone comes to her, the angels, and says, will you submit to your husband? Yes, he is my Lord. This is part of more her normal conversation. She respected her husband. She followed him. She submitted to him. Now, she had some interesting ideas herself, bringing Hagar, her servant, for Abraham to lie with, to have a son. And then she got envious and jealous There was difficulty in the marriage both ways. But when Scripture says, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah is your example. And she can be your mother if you will follow her example. Sarah was not ugly. She's old and being taken by kings and rulers for a wife. Sarah is a beautiful woman. Scripture is not opposed to beauty. He talks about letting our adorning not being uh, braiding of the hair, gold jewelry, or clothing you wear. Okay? Women wives, you must wear clothing. It is okay to have jewelry. It's okay to have clothing. Those things go together in the list. You don't have to shun all adornment. But it is so easy for you to adorn yourselves and to have your your status, your confidence, your security be in your adornment. It's no longer even your body itself, but it's your adornment. And Peter, the Holy Spirit, says to us, no, Sarah used to adorn herself By submitting to her husband, by trusting God, by following her husband, and by letting her security, even in really dangerous situations, letting her security be in obeying God and his word and respecting her husband, even to the point of calling him Lord. Now, this is the point where a popular commentary, who has been helpful to me in other areas, says that. You know, if his wife called him Lord, he would fail because love and respect, um, there would be a lack of love and respect if a wife were to call her husband Lord. This misses the plain teaching of Scripture. In Ephesians, we are given the example of Christ and the church, and marriage is compared to it. And Paul says, really, the real mystery is that Christ and his bride, the church, are the real marriage. They're the antitype. They're, that's the real thing. And all your marriages on earth, you think that God has given us bride in the church as analogy to understand something, and the reality is your marriage. But Paul, the Holy Spirit says the reality, the thing that is real, that is deeper, is the marriage between Christ and his church. And so our marriages are a reflection of that. They're an example of that. They're an outworking of that. God has no problem demonstrating his love towards us. And there's no lack of love and joy on our part in responding to Christ as our Lord. Authority, responsibility, there is no conflict with love and affection. There's no competing. When one has responsibility and authority, he doesn't have to say, Either I'm responsible or I show love. In fact, it's his faithful discharge of his duty to God in his responsibility that demonstrates his love most clearly. We're coming to the husband. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There is a difficulty inherent with being a wife and submitting. you're not in charge. This may be why some women prefer to remain single. Of course it's scary. And of course your husband can fail terribly. And godly men fail terribly. It is a scary thing. But the good news is that Jesus was willing to go to the cross on our behalf, and he said, follow my example. Be willing to submit to the Father's will, to the written word of God, and be willing to live not for yourself, but for the sake of others. And entrust yourself to the care of God the Father and to your good shepherd, Jesus, who's the guardian of your souls. You will be safe here. Next slide, verse seven, 1 Peter 3, verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you, Of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says likewise. And so there's a a similar calling here to the husband as to the wife. What is the similarity? That the husband, the Christian man, must submit his will and his desires to God and his word. It may seem easier, it may seem unfair, but the husband has no less of a responsibility to God and no less difficult or um, pride-attacking calling than the wife. Men, Christian men, husbands, you must follow Christ's example and submit to God's word in everything. In our culture, it is common for young men to grow up playing video games and to enjoy playing video games and to enjoy playing video games for hours beyond the point where their brains continue to function, not on autopilot. And this is uh, enjoyable by young men and um, it can be a stereotype. And there are stereotypes because they're true. There's a general observation and it's true and it's a stereotype. Americans are loud and brash. That is a general and accurate stereotype. When a young man who has given his life to playing video games hours on end somehow has won over a young lady's heart and convinced her to marry him and enters the state of marriage and sits down and plays video games for hours on end, The marriage may be okay for the first year or two years or three years until God brings along a child, and it may be okay during the first child. But at some point, the young man will find that he is unable to live as a husband while giving himself and his time to video games. Now, the wife knew this before the marriage, probably, in most cases, right? Oh, yeah, we're getting married. I know he plays video games, but that's going to stop when we get married, duh, You know, and then you get married. Well, it didn't stop. Now, there are other examples, other habits, other vices. It may be video games in your life, men. It may be hunting. It may be the time you spend on your vehicle. It may be the time spent on the phone with your mom. It may be the time spent on repairing the house. It may be movies. All sorts of things come in, and as men, as husbands, we have our personal lives. We have our personal pleasures. We have the things that we do and the ways that we dress that make us favored in the community. Just like our wives, we get our value from outside ourselves, and we have personal pleasures, and... Because of sin and its effectiveness, even in the life of a believer, when we're not on guard, when we're not thoughtful, when we're not thinking, we live for ourselves naturally. And all of our friends live for themselves. And our friends who are unbelievers and husbands get to do what they want. And their wife enables them. And there's a sort of sharing an enabling. Well, as long as you do this, I'll let you do that. Instead of, let's honor God together. And so it's difficult for us as men to even see our selfishness. It's difficult for us to see our disobedience to God's word. Well, I am leading. And if she doesn't like how much time I spend on video games, I am leading. I am going to play these video games. The Holy Spirit says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wives, you may win your unbelieving husbands over or your cantankerous husbands by your faithful submission. You're entrusting yourself to God and obeying his word. Men, if you do not understand and care for your wife is the weaker vessel, don't expect God to listen to your prayers. Don't expect him to hear the desires of your heart and fulfill them. Don't expect him to bless your leading, which is sort of a prayer. Look, I'm going to do this by faith. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Know your wife. Study your wife. I did some research into handguns once. And there was reports that one brand, after so many hundreds of shots in one practice, uh, would start misfiring. The The bullets would uh, block in the chamber or in the, uh, I don't even remember it, the part you put in the handle again. Magazine, thank you. Obviously, I did not buy the handguns and become a professional. These men knew after how many tens and hundreds of rounds that the magazine started gumming up, right? Ask men about their favorite sports team and players. When do you go hunting? What time of day? How do you handle this boss and this coworker? How do you do this job or that job? How do you get to level 47B and the secret tunnel underneath the third secret doorway in the game, the video game? Men, we study all sorts of things. We understand things. We apply ourselves. We know things. We work hard to understand things. Things are important to us. We compare them. We butt them up against each other, and and we work on what works and what doesn't. Understand your wife. Quit being ignorant and selfish. Selfish. Quit giving your time to video games or other things that keep you from knowing your wife. Ask her questions. Spend time with her without the children. Spend time with her where you have to be alone together for an extended period of time. I don't know, drive to uh, Mobile and back with the doors locked so she can't get out, okay? But... <laughs> Watch, when you say something, how does your wife respond? When you talk about certain things, whether it's um, the budget, or clothing, or um, the church, or friendships, or work, or your children the next couple years, or politics, how does your wife see things? Not just is she right or wrong, but how does she process things? What's scary to your wife? I had a friend describe the difference between husbands and wives, or try to help illustrate this by saying, you know, a husband can be driving in a a family van. Husband's up front, he's driving, and the wife, let's say, is in the back seat uh, taking care of a child, and the roads are icy, okay? Some of you may not know what that is if you grew up here, but the roads are icy. And the husband has done this for years, and so he turns back, and he's talking to his wife, and he's got his knees on the steering wheel, and he can't figure out why she's afraid. He's got things under control. What is it that scares your wife? What does she need you to speak about in advance? What things are going to be difficult with your children at the next stage of life? What's difficult about your relationship with your in-laws or your other in-laws? Your wife needs you to understand her, and to understand her, you have to study her. And that takes time, and that means thinking differently than you think. Live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You must understand that God made Adam first and Eve second, and your wife needs your protection, your understanding, and your care. And even if she fights against it, honor her as the weaker vessel. Take the initiative. Think in advance. Provide for her. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, we are weak as well, and we can have really thin skin, and we don't know what to do a lot of the time. And we forget God's word and we're scared, and we're frightened. Your wife is a fellow heir of grace with you. She's not your opponent. She's not your enemy. If you don't know what to do, don't treat her like your enemy. If she's opposed to you, don't treat her like your enemy. Treat her like your wife, who can be one to following you and seeing things the way God has led you to see them. She is your fellow heir. She's not your slave. She's not your errand boy. She is a fellow heir of the grace of life with you. She has been commanded by God to submit to you, to posture herself as being your aid and your helper. But she is your fellow heir of the grace of life in the work that God has given to you and to you as a family. She needs to know your love and your admiration. She also will be helped to know your weakness and that you own up to it and that you depend on God and his grace and not your strength any more than she does. Husbands and wives, from one perspective, you both have a difficult calling. I told you we look back at two things. One, Abraham and Sarah, which we did. And the second, Adam and Eve. In the garden, God made Adam first and Eve from her side. God gave the command to Adam, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam must have shared this with Eve because Satan tempts Eve and asks her, and she repeats back what she has heard. And then Eve sees that God is withholding something good from her and she eats from the fruit because she thinks and is told that she can have something better than what God has given her, although he has given her everything except for being made first and except for the fruit of this one tree. Adam, we are then told, eats because he's standing next to her. I don't know what Adam was thinking. If the serpent looked unable to contend with. But what does Jesus do? What does God do? He creates all things good for us. He provides for us. When we rebel and sin, he gives salvation through the death and life of his son. Jesus takes our place for our rebellion. This is the good news. Adam refused to defend and protect his wife. Eve refused to believe God's word. Nothing has changed. Peter says, do what you're supposed to have been doing from the beginning. Exercise the responsibility that God has given you under him and reporting back to him, but for the good of your wife, because you are in this together. And wives, submit to God and his word by submitting to your husband. Nothing has changed. God hasn't changed the creation order or his purpose or his design. Happiness uh, doesn't come from something new than the way God made us in the beginning. And the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus does this on our behalf. And then he says, now you can do this because you're in me. You're with me. You have my spirit. You've been set free from your bondage to thinking that video games are the end-all, be-all that your sexy outfit and having all the men gaze at you is what will give you lasting happiness. You've been set free from that. You can now have real peace in your marriage because you follow me and my word and because you both are depending on the Holy Spirit and you have received the gift of my favor and my grace so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, your wives need your prayers to be answered. I don't know how many of my prayers have not been answered as pastor because of sin in my life. I don't know. Or my marriage. I'm I'm sure they have. That prayers have gone unanswered because I have held on to sin. God's not joking. He's serious. And so the good news is that you get to provide for your families by your prayers being answered. The next slide says, likewise, you and me and our children. The Apostle Peter is speaking directly to wives and husbands. Raise your children to be prepared to live this way. Speak with your daughters now that they not be known for being brash and sexy. Speak to your men that they not be overbearing and arrogant and wasting their time. Prepare your sons and daughters. Speak to them about their sins so that they will know that they need a Savior. Speak to them with overwhelming joy about the goodness of God in your life and His forgiveness and His patience and the things that you have seen Him do despite your sin and your lack of worthiness. Praise your wife. Point out how she honors God. Point out your failures and confess your sin. Praise your husband. Build him up in front of your children. You can prepare your children to be godly wives and husbands. They don't have to wait till marriage counseling. And for those of us who are not married, don't be afraid of marriage. Don't think it's something that you don't need. And if God chooses to not give it, and it's a strong desire, trust him. Give yourself to serve Christ through serving his church and those people that he puts in your life. Through leading and exercising responsibility and authority over those whom God entrusts to you through his providential working. Our last slide. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For those of you who know the good news of salvation through the suffering of Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to preach this. In addition to the reading and preaching of God's word, you have the opportunity to preach this good news by submitting to God and his word and entrusting yourself to the good shepherd. Your example will speak volumes to your children, to your spouse, to your relatives, to your neighbors. And God will take care of you. You have no safer place than trusting God and obeying him. He will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us and for your kindness. We thank you for the gift of your word. Father, please help us as wives to see where we can grow in being submissive and honoring you. Help those ladies, especially where it seems immediately uh, frightful to begin or to more so submit to their husbands, strengthen their faith, give them godly uh, friends who will support them. Help men who are lazy and proud to be willing to change and to hear Uh, correction and rebuke from others, to hear your Holy Spirit speaking to them. Help those who don't know what to do and are afraid to lead, who have wives who are difficult, to be strong and to persevere. Father, I pray that you'd give this congregation the fruit, the happiness of seeing uh, growing joy as they walk in obedience to your word. We thank you for your son and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.